Ramble. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. This is going to be a story where just when you thought, you little thought, I'm kidding. <laughs> just when you thought you understood the story, something weird happens and then it gets even weirder. And then we read a bunch of text messages, which makes this feel so... Everything is just going to be confusing. We're talking about kinks, BDSM, and murder all in one. And I just need to put a quick disclaimer real quick. BDSM has nothing to do with crime, has nothing to do with predators, has nothing to do with psychopaths, with evil people. No, it is just a place where two consenting adults do things to each other that they both want to do, both enjoy. And as long as they do it within the legal boundaries and in the privacy of their own home and not, you know target aisle four why it doesn't bother me okay i love the bdsm community i think most of the people a part of it are really really chill i don't know every single one that's a part of it but i know most of them i'm kidding (laughs) so this has nothing to do with that but because we're combining bdsm and it's heavily prevalent in this murder case i just need to put that out there let's talk about elaine o'hara this has been a requested case on my youtube channel and there is just no way that i could have told you the things i'm about to tell you on youtube without that video being deleted in 0.2 seconds by the platform because it gets really intense. So Elaine O'Hara, her childhood, this is where we have to start because it's so important to the entirety of this story. She was born into an upper middle class family and she lived in Ireland, by the way. So she lived in the affluent suburbs near Dublin. She attended this private school and her entire family life was really happy. She was really close with her mom in particular, who was a teacher and she had always wanted to be like her mom. I mean, that's the one thing with Elaine that's really important she loves children she loves children so much and she wanted to be a teacher when she grows up now when she's young she gets diagnosed with a couple of different things she gets diagnosed with dyslexia asthma diabetes and she had a lot of self-esteem issues from this she got bullied at school they were like oh my god look at her carrying around an inhaler kids are freaking rude and then almost soon after this she lost a best friend to a car accident so then she was dealing with a lot of anxiety a lot of depression and by the time that Elaine was 16 years old she started self-harming so she had a suicide attempt by 16 and she had cut her wrist so over the next the rest of her life really she will be kind of in and out of these mental institutions as a patient she will continually go to her therapist and that's the one thing with elaine like no matter what she will literally stay months in a hospital as an inpatient and then get out and just give life a go again like she is never defeated she's like no I'm gonna I'm gonna try it again this time she will literally keep on keep on and keep on trying so she had multiple diagnoses over the years but um the main one that comes into question was her borderline personality disorder that she was dealing with she had a lot of suicidal ideologies she was incredibly depressed and this is all really pertinent to the story but like I said she would get out of that hospital and she would try again she tried joining clubs she picked up on hobbies she did squash sailing and none of them really stuck but i think it's so admirable that she kept trying outside of that she was just a super loving caring person one of her siblings had a daughter which is her niece and her she, also her goddaughter and she loved her so much this was like one of the most important people to her life she had always wanted children but she knew that she was not in a place to be a mom like that's how amazing this person is she's like i know that this kid's not gonna get 
get the best of the world if I am having these types of thoughts. So she starts working really hard. Um, she was a classroom assistant. She was part time working at a news agency, studying at night to become a teacher, just like her mom. So you're thinking, okay, life's getting on track. And then in 2002, Elaine's mom passes away. So she is just devastated um she starts self-harming again and she is admitted into a, another hospital and her doctor that was treating her for most of this he passes away so it was just like incident after incident and so she gets this new psychiatrist and around this time is when she starts disclosing to this psychiatrist that she really just has this crazy fantasy and she wants to be tied up she just wants to be tied up and held captive she wants someone to just Tie her up, not let her out, make every decision for her. She hates making decisions. And this seemed to be like a direct reflection of what Elaine hated in life. Like she, every little decision that she had to make was very anxiety inducing. She would second guess herself. She Wait, just didn't that, feel confident. Was she saying it as that's her sexual fantasy or? Yeah. Oh, okay. But she, I mean, it definitely wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to go call up some kidnappers in the local area. She was okay. just saying, I, I found this new outlet for I these see. types of things. Like, I just want to, I want to do this in my sexual life. And her fantasy, or her therapist started taking note of that. Now, August 2012, she had just recently gotten discharged from a hospital. She was there for another attempted suicide. And she was really in good spirits. Her doctor let her out because she was actually that good in spirits. Like she was jumping up and down. She was like, I can't wait. I actually want to go to this festival thing that I got planned. It's called the Tall Ships Festival. I looked it up because I was like, is this some sort of BDSM festival that I don't know about? Like tall ships. What does that mean? Looked into it. Dead ass, just about ships. Has nothing to do with that type of ship, if you know what I mean. So she's like, yeah, I really want to go to this festival. I can take time off of work. I can volunteer. Like, I can help with one of these stands at this festival. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, my gosh, I'm excited. So her doctor was like, you seem to be doing really well. So I'm going to let you out. We're still going to talk all the time. So have fun. Go do your thing. So she gets discharged August 2012. Now, the day before the festival, she calls up her dad. And she's like, hey, dad, what are you doing tonight? Let's go to mom's grave. So he's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. And so he meets her at the grave and the cemetery that we're talking about is really important to the story later but it's um it's a really beautiful place so it's a cemetery that's on top of a cliffside so there's a lot of cliffs nearby that just kind of drop down into these rocky waters very beautiful scenery there's some parks where a lot of people will drive there just to jog around i mean absolutely beautiful so they go there together and again her dad says wow she's in amazing spirits i mean she's just so happy she keeps talking about this tall ships festival and the dad's girlfriend had actually arranged to drive Elaine tomorrow morning mm -hmm. so she's like okay dad like your girlfriend Sheila she's gonna drop me off right and he's like yeah she's so excited to see you tomorrow so they go place fresh flowers on the mom's grave and the only complaint that Elaine's dad had because the rest of it went so well I mean she seemed happy healthy she was excited is the fact that she was kind of on her phone a little bit like she was texting someone she was a little distracted he's like alright let's put that phone away Elaine like get on your phone when you get home we're here to spend some time together like take in the scenery look at that look at the water come on Elaine let's mm -hmm. enjoy this that was his only complaint they get a little ice cream together 
together and she's like, I got to go home. It's like 5 p.m. I need to go. I need to sleep early because tomorrow your girlfriend's picking me up and I'm going to the tall ship festival. I'm excited. So he drops her off at her apartment, which, by the way, his girlfriend lived in the same like apartment block. So she her name's Sheila, but I don't know if that's important. The father's girlfriend. Yeah. Living the same apartment block. block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that night, you know, Sheila, she's driving home and she sees that Elaine's lights are off. This is the dad's girlfriend. And she's like, oh, well, she's probably sleeping in so that she can wake up tomorrow for the Tall Ships Festival. And she texted Elaine that night when she Mm -hmm. got off work saying, hey, we're still on for 7.15 a.m., right? And she didn't get a response, which she didn't think anything weird of because, you know, she's sleeping. Her lights are off. Why wouldn't Mm -hmm. she? The following morning, she's supposed to meet her at Sheila's car because they live in the same apartment block. But she just doesn't show up. So Mm -hmm. Sheila, she's like, all right, she probably slept in. She's, you know, passed out. Let me go up to her apartment. So she starts knocking on the door. No answer. She starts calling her. No answer. Okay. Well, I mean, Sheila's got to go to work. You know, her plan was to drop her off at the festival and then head to work. So, I mean, what, what do I do? She calls Elaine's dad and says, hey, babe, I don't know what to do. Elaine's not coming down. Should I just go back to work? Like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. He says, yeah, it's fine. I am sure if she really wants, she can get another ride. Maybe she can get like a taxi situation. I mean, she's 36 years old. Come on. It's mm-hmm. going to be okay. So Sheila goes to work and everything is just resolved for the day. Nobody really tries to contact her. They just kind of think that she made her way to the Tall Ship Festival. Mm-hmm. Now, at night, the dad comes home and he starts calling her, texting her, and even texts her, are you alive? Like, hello, come on, text me back. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, he still had gotten response to any of that so it's okay because you know the whole day he's expecting her to be at the festival somehow so mm-hmm. i mean it's not that alarming but the next morning there's still no response so he gets his spare key into elaine's apartment and opens the door and everything is completely normal there are no signs of a break-in there's no blood there's nothing and i okay side note i can't even imagine the fear he was feeling especially with Elaine having these attempted suicides, just mm. going through the rooms of her apartment, just like, Worried. like my, yeah, my heart's getting like all bunched up right now, just thinking about it. But thankfully there was no signs of a break in, no signs of blood, but there was no signs of Elaine. And what made it even more alarming was that her iPhone was charging on the table, her phone, the same phone that she just like wouldn't get off of the other day at the grave. Mm-hmm. She's, it's just, on the table why would she leave without it this doesn't make any sense so Mm -hmm. he starts freaking out he calls the tall ships festival and he asks have you guys seen my daughter have you guys seen my daughter she was volunteering she was working this stand she talked to me about it all day Mm -hmm. and they're like oh she didn't show up she was a no-show he's like what she didn't cut she didn't okay so she wasn't at the festival all day so he immediately calls the psychiatric hospital maybe she had turned herself in right well admitted herself i guess and they said no we haven't heard anything and she didn't have an appointment so yeah nothing was weird here Mm -hmm. so he immediately goes to the police station and reports her missing and they start searching her place immediately they find a couple of strange items so like i said there was no signs of a break-in no signs of a third party trying to get into her place Mm -hmm. but um they did find some bdsm stuff they found this rubber outfit that was like head to toe rubber commonly associated with bdsm lots of lubricants chains printouts of hunting knives a notebook of websites that were her logins to really really extreme bdsm websites like incredibly extreme ones and the police they take in her iphone they take in her two laptops and they find some super hardcore messages from a man by the name of sir just 
SIR. And it's talking about bloodletting, which is the withdrawal of blood from someone. Mm-hmm. Um, stabbing, like a stabbing kink, like knife play. There was, I mean, really serious stuff. I think most of the BDSM community aren't even into this extremes. I also wonder what are like the legal ramifications of being into knife play. Like, let's mm. say if both people are into it. This is like the cannibal situation, right? Right. Like, like you're talking about like, hey, please eat me. Yeah. But right. I mean, I get that. Like, that one's a little different. Okay. So let's say you're a cannibal and you eat a chunk of my thigh. I'm not hospitalized. I don't press charges. Could you still be arrested for that? I wonder. Because technically it is assault. But if I consent, it's like punch me in the face. I don't know. It's complex. <laughs> so she was really into knife play and the conversation that she had with this specific person, which is, you know, the police, they're going off of anything they can. They're just trying to find any suspects. What happened to Elaine? Did she run off with someone? And these conversations of knife play ended months before she went missing. So it didn't seem like she was talking to anyone right now. So that's not the person that she was texting. Yeah, it didn't seem like it. They weren't texting for like months. So they couldn't find out who was she talking to? Is she talking to anyone? Is there someone who would know where she is other than her dad? So they start going to her workplace. They start asking her friends, her coworkers, and they all said that, yeah, I mean, she was really into BDSM. She would tell them that she's having this affair with a married man and she would show off these cuts on her body. And she would like lift up her shirt and she had these knife markings on her stomach. And when I say knife markings, they weren't like paper cuts. I'm talking like they were serious wounds that would leave scars. Like these are damaging wounds. And she said that this married man that she's having an affair with inflicted them on her. And it was super consensual. She's just like really into this extreme BDSM scene. And that's and what they that would say. that is considered legal? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. And huh. she would also mention that he likes to tie me up and masturbate over me. And it was just kind of really shocking stuff now side note part of her mental illness something that her family was very open about with the investigators was that she would do a lot of shocking things she would do things in the middle of fights where she will blurt out random very off the bar off the topic crazy things and people always thought maybe they're lies maybe she's doing this to end this conversation like Mm -hmm. to say something so incredibly shocking Mm -hmm. that the person that she's having this argument with will just have no idea how to respond like she had mentioned to her dad that she likes to be tied up and like all of these things in the middle of like a regular conversation like an argument a couple years ago so the dad doesn't know that this is actually happening yeah so he's like i mean i don't know she mentioned this but she didn't mention it in a way that was like hey dad let's just talk Mm -hmm. it was out of nowhere in the middle of a fight with heightened emotions Mm -hmm. and sometimes you know some of the things she would say weren't necessarily true so she would say these outrageous comments so the police are like all right well let's just look at the cctv from the apartment building they Mm -hmm. get it she arrives home from the cemetery the day that her dad dropped her off her dad Mm -hmm. is seen at her door then he leaves And then almost immediately after, Elaine is seen leaving out of the apartment elevator as well. She was Mm -hmm. wearing this navy blue tracksuit bottoms, this blue hoodie. And then they start pulling all the street cameras, which like, by the way, Ireland, amazing. What the heck? I don't understand. In America, we have like one situation and the CCTV footage is filmed off of a potato and recorded over in 0.2 seconds. And you'll never get that footage back. But Ireland, they're like, yeah, we've got it all. So they start searching all of the street cameras and they see her her driving in her car leaving by herself of her own free will but when they zoom into that picture she has a phone in her hand but it's not her phone because her phone's at home 
So what is this phone that nobody knows about? Her dad's like, no, she doesn't have two phones. She's got one phone. Why would she have two phones? She's not like an FBI agent. What's going on? Why does she have two phones? They don't know where that phone is now. And they don't know why she has a second phone. So they start searching. Okay, well, if she went in this direction, where do you think she could have gone? We need to try to find her car. We need to try to find her phone because her car's not here. We need to do all of that. So they start looking, looking, and they head back to the gravesite, the cemetery, Mm -hmm. and they find her car there. Now, her car was unlocked. Inside, they found her cigarettes, her lighter, a charger for a phone that wasn't her iPhone. So they think, okay, like this is probably the phone that she was using in the car. Mm -hmm. And it looked like it was like a Nokia phone, like a Nokia. And um, this is where people started really getting panicked when they found her car at the cemetery because this is where her mother is buried. And there's a lot of cliffs. There are so many cliffs and it's steep, rocky waters nearby. And so people start thinking, I mean, the investigators are thinking, did she take her life? Is that what happened? Mm -hmm. Did people think that she was okay? but maybe something triggered her? Maybe something set her off within that couple of hours. And this is what she decided to do. So they Mm -hmm. start interviewing anyone that was at this park, because like I said, it's a beautiful place. There's a park nearby. Joggers are here. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy who was jogging who saw a picture of her and was like, oh, my God. Yes. No, I remember her. I saw her that day. And she stopped and asked me for directions to a bridge somewhere. And so I told her, oh, it's that way through that trail. You'll get to the bridge. It's like overlooking a lake. okay?" and when I I I did a circle, I did a lap. And when I was jogging back, I saw her again. But this time she seemed really distracted. She seemed really like distant. She didn't even notice me pass by after we had just had a conversation not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And she just seemed like she was in a different headspace. And he was the last person to see her alive. So now they're thinking, oh, my God, okay, this This kind of lines up. She left her car. She's in this headspace where she's, you know, thinking into deep thoughts. Maybe she did commit suicide. So they start sending these helicopters. They had search teams, search teams. The Coast Guard gets involved and they search for so long and they cannot find her body anywhere. And the medical records, I mean, they painted this picture of someone who is incredibly troubled. She had attempted to take her life on three different occasions. She was hospitalized over 14 times, sometimes for months at a time, and she had always struggled with mental health. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of widely accepted by not only her family members, but also with the investigators that maybe she did commit suicide. There was no evidence to suggest otherwise. There was no break-in. There was no ransom note. There was nothing. But there was also no evidence to suggest it was a suicide so if she had fallen into the waters you would think that eventually i mean something would float something would drift ashore maybe not her but maybe a shirt maybe some pants something but they didn't find anything they didn't necessarily close the case but it just wasn't the top priority anymore and i don't think the family they too they were just trying to come to terms with was there something i could have done to not Mm. you know to have helped her that day i thought she was happy maybe i shouldn't have thought that maybe i should have stayed longer i mean i'm sure there was with any case of suicide i'm sure there was a lot of blame and grief with the family members themselves so it just kind of settled for the next year nobody was really like oh my god we need to find her right now it was Mm -hmm. just a lot of emotions with the family the investigators they're doing their own thing with all these other cases that were homicides and then a year later everything comes crashing down like all at once, which is which is the weird thing about this case, because you would think that the past year, if there was any evidence to be found, maybe you'd find a little bit here, mm-hmm. a little bit within a couple months and then maybe a little bit there. Mm-hmm. But you have two separate case opening, mind boggling discoveries at the same time by two different police teams. 
I know that feeling all too well. The one where someone cracks the best joke ever and you want to smile. You want to laugh. You want to show them all of your teeth to tell them, hey, I like your joke. But then you stop yourself. You put your hand over your mouth because you're like, oh, man, they're going to notice my crooked tooth. They're going to notice that I've got some crowded teeth on my bottom set. They're not straight. But then the other option is maybe I get braces for a year. But how is that going to be? What if you're an adult? What if you're in high school? Thousands of people feel the same way as you. And that is why they use Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable and practically invisible aligners to help straighten your teeth. And now they love their smile. So just like Sharon H., from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She said that she wore braces as a teenager. Fast forward 30 years, she forgot to wear her retainers and she started having crowding on the bottom and one of her teeth actually stuck out. So she decided, you know what? I'm going to make this decision to move forward with Candid. And she finally got her confidence back. Candid is here to help straighten your teeth so that you can fall in love with your smile too. So the treatment, it's prescribed and it's closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. So you have the same quality care that you'd get from an in-office orthodontist, but from the comfort and convenience of your own couch, your own home. Now, other companies, they use general dentists and stuff, but Candid only works with orthodontists. So with Candid, you have the same orthodontist, which I love this part, who creates your plan, is with you from start to finish, so you never have to wonder about, is this going the right way? Like, is everything okay? The average Candid treatment is just six months, so you start seeing results way before then, and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. Right now, you can save $75 on Candid's starter kit. Go to Candid candidco.com slash rotten and use code rotten that's candidco.com slash rotten code rotten take advantage of this limited time offer to save 75 dollars on your starter kit candidco.com slash rotten code rotten for the people in the back So we're going to start with two guys that decide to go fishing. They're not really important to the story. They just happen to live in the nearby area. Um, they started going fishing nearby the bridge off the cemetery. Remember the one overlooking the lake that mm-hmm. Elaine was looking for? Well, they decide to go to that bridge. They're like, let's go fishing. So they grab their little fishing, fishing hooks and they start fishing. And it, this is September of 2013. It had been a really hot summer. The waters were low. There was no fish. They're getting frustrated. They're like, come on, we're here to catch some game. We're not getting anything. They keep looking over the bridge to see how is there no fish in the water? Like, this is kind of insane. And that's when they start seeing some things in the water. They're like, wait, what is that over there? That looks like, is that rope? Is that like some sort of net or something? And then they see something shiny and they kind of ignore it. But then they get more curious. I mean, they're bored. They're like drinking their beers. They were here to catch some fish. And now there's just some random shenanigans in the water. So they start trying to hook those items into the bridge. They're like, let's just see what's there. So at first, it's super normal stuff at the beginning. A girl's white shirt, a blue jacket, um, things that you would is think. normal? I mean, like I, I feel like I grew up around creeks and lakes and you kind of see those things things because people kids when they're playing they're like it's hot let me take off my jacket and then they just leave their jacket and then their mom is like that i just bought you that jacket so they just got some clothes just some clothes and it wasn't like underwear or anything it was like just outerwear Mm. maybe you went for a swim and there was also the next thing they get is a little more alarming a yellow rope with handcuffs attached Okay, a little alarming, but I'm not calling the cops yet. And then it gets more intense. Suddenly, they're still pulling up these leg restraints, these leather straps, a leather gag. You know, one of those pieces that you would put over your head. It looks like a belt, but it's super complicated all over your face. And it has this ball gag that you would put into your mouth so that you can't talk. And it would be... um, 
you just have to like control your breathing. Wow, do I act? Why am I acting like I know what that is? You're picturing it, aren't you? Yeah, like the BDSM. Yes. And then the next thing that they pull up is a little more advanced version of that. It's a full leather mask with no eye holes, no nose holes, just a zipper to open where the mouth would be. Oh, okay. So very intense. They pull this up and the two dudes are looking at each other like, this is kind of crazy, right? I mean, this is insane. And they start kind of laughing and they leave it at the bridge. They decide we're not going to call the police. We're not going to take these home. It seemed like it was like a stag party. So in America, it'd be like a bachelor party. They're like, they probably bought all these things. They thought it was a hee hee ha ha joke. And then maybe they're drunk. They threw it over the bridge. Hee hee ha ha. Now the two friends, they go home and they don't think about it. They leave everything on the bridge that they had just fished out of there. And one of those friends, they just couldn't sleep that night. I mean, they just keep thinking none of that stuff seemed like something you would get at Party City or even like a sex shop. It seemed really professional almost. It seemed like intense BDSM gear, which doesn't make sense because if you're into BDSM and you do this at home, why would you throw it away? And if you were going to throw it away, you would just put it in your trash. Why would you drive to this lake and then throw it over into the water? That doesn't make any sense to him. And so he keeps thinking about it. So the next morning, immediately, he rushes to the police station and he turns in everything to the police. He, go- he goes to the bridge and brings it to the police station, right? Mm-hmm. And the police officer takes those items in and he goes home that night and he too, he can't stop thinking about it. He's like, I mean, it is weird. Why didn't they just, why would you put them in the reservoir? Why wouldn't you just throw them into your trash can? And these look like pricey items. Like I said, they don't look like they got them off Party, party City. Side note, Party City's freaking expensive for no reason. So you get what I'm saying. It just Mm -hmm. doesn't look like cheap stuff. So the next day, the officer goes back to the lake and he starts trying to like dig around in the water. And around the time that he came, the water is no longer clear. The winds had changed. All of that silt at the bottom of the lake had just risen up and it's super murky. He can't see anything. So he doesn't even know what he's looking for, but he's just like sticking his arms in. Just he's just trying to find something. Mm -hmm. So he keeps going back on multiple different occasions. And finally, the third time that he went back, he starts finding some things. Now, at the same time, 12 miles away, there's another development happening. So there's this woman. um, Her name is Magali, and she's like owning this dog walking training business. And she has this set up with the local landowners of the Dublin Mountains that, hey, you can come and walk the dogs on the mountainside because it's just like a wildlife area. It's not necessarily a farm. It's not necessarily usable space. It's just heavily wooded. Like you see deer all the time. It's isolated. It's rural. So they have no problem with her walking all the dogs out there. So she was walking her little dog and she sees that her dog is running back with this bone in her mouth Mm -hmm. she's like okay well this is like completely normal my dog does this all the time so she takes the bone out of her dog's mouth and it's like an animal bone she thinks and places it on a pile of rocks and just walks back home so then a few days later she goes back into the woods with her dog and her dog just runs off into the woods and she's like oh my god millie you need to stop doing that so after some time she starts calling for her dog like we gotta go home come on come on let's go now her dog who is usually really well trained isn't coming back So she's like, what the heck? So she goes into the woods and starts calling for her dog. And she starts, Millie, Millie. And she finds her dog finally. And she's like, Millie, what are you doing? And she looks down and her dog is chomping on what looks like a leg bone. So she's like, God, another bone? I mean, these deers are out here just killing each other. It's a deer eat deer world. So she takes the bone out. And as she's trying to toss it onto the ground, she sees a bunch of other bones scattered on the floor. She's like, okay, that's weird. It kind of looks like a vertebrae. There's a lot of bones. 
definitely could be an animal for sure. You know, that's not abnormal in these dense woods. But for some reason, something was creeping around. Like for some reason, she just had this instinct, like the hair on the back of her neck was standing up. And she was like, I just I got to get out of here. She feels like it's a human. She feels like it's a human. And I think maybe part of the reason is that this was within the Ireland's vanishing triangle, which is a fascinating case. So within the span of six years in this 80 mile area in the Dublin mountains. So, I mean, dense woods, eight women just vanished. Eight women that had very that were in similar age groups. They just vanished while they were doing everyday normal things. One of them went to a bar. She just vanished completely off the face of the earth. They had large scale searches. Press were all over this. And still it's unsolved all of their disappearances, all of their potential murders. It's speculated that there was an active serial killer, but it's just it's weird. So maybe it sounds like a serial killer. right? Right. So maybe that's why she was like, oh, Maybe it's not like maybe it's one of those women. I'm sure she had that instinct of like, I saw this on the news all the time. Like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. So she rushes back to one of the landowners and is like, help, help. Like, I need help. I think I found a human. I don't know what it is. It's just really creepy. So he's like, all right, it's probably no big deal. Calm down. And he walks back to the same spot with her. And this time around, not only do they see just the pile of bones on the ground, but they look over and in the distant area, they see a woman's tracksuit like clothing and they see a sneaker again okay let's not freak out because sometimes sometimes people come into the woods and they do some crazy stuff you know when you're a teenager maybe you go into the woods and make out with people and take off your tracksuit bottoms it's it's not the first time people would find clothing in the woods but they start looking around some more and they freak out when they find the bottom of a human jawbone which is very different from animal jawbones now you would think Okay, call the police. Well, they don't get cell service. So they oh, can't get any, no. I know. So they can't get any signal. So all of them just have to run all the way back to the landowner's house to use the landline to call the police. Now, once the police arrive, they rush them straight back to where they just were with all of the bones. And the police know that they've got their work cut out for them. I mean, this is going to be a crazy case. They had to handle this crime scene with expert precision because, like I mentioned, the media was going to be in hysterics, which they were because they were thinking the vanishing trial what if it's one of these missing girls will this super long unsolved mystery finally have some closure i mean people the press they were going crazy so mm-hmm. they're like we got to make sure that we cross all of our t's dot all of our i's because if we fork up on any of this it's just going to be blown all over probably international news so the actual crime scene itself the bones were scattered through a large area and the remains were there for what seemed like a long time i mean they thought maybe over a year at least mm-hmm. the there was no decomposition it was just straight up the dry bones they were able to collect over 65 percent of a full skeleton so 65% of someone's body and it Mm -hmm. seemed like this person was laying on their back when they had died and they wrapped everything up into evidence bags they brought them in to be autopsied and when you have such a when you just have a skeleton you're not going to find the cause of death you're not really going to find much just using the bones they were able to determine that this was a female aged 27 to 40 Mm-hmm. So you don't have any like flesh, you don't have a face, you don't have anything. And she was in the mountains for at least a year. That's all they really have. So the police immediately, they start going through the database. They're like, we need to look for any women who went missing in the last year or two years. And they're not closed cases that need to be around 27 to 40 years old. Mm-hmm. And they get a hit. They can't, they can't stop thinking about her. Elaine O'Hara. 
She went missing when she was 36 years old. She went missing last year and she was presumed to have committed suicide and probably drowned is what they thought, right? The police and her family thought that she had taken Mm -hmm. her own life. So they pull her dental records and they give it to the technicians and it was a match to the remains. Now, this suddenly does not look like a suicide. Uh-huh. This looks like a homicide. I mean, she was stripped of her clothing. This was a drive. It was a 12-mile drive from the cemetery. It doesn't make sense. Her car is left at the cemetery. I mean, what? So the police are like, okay, we need to open this case again. What the fork's going on? They're updating the case files. They're doing all of that jazz. Now, at the same time, the police officer who's going into the lake, he has no idea that any of this is happening. I mean, maybe he's heard about it with his colleagues, but he has no idea that he's about to get involved. So he starts sticking his hands into the murky waters and he starts pulling out some more stuff. And he finds two more gags, handcuffs, a key, another leather mask two different knives an inhaler remember elaine has asthma a chain with a ring on it and he also digs out a dunn store loyalty card so it's like a huge chain in ireland someone's gonna get mad because i don't know for sure but i would say maybe it's like a target so they sell food clothes and home goods and it's huge and it was attached to this key ring so they he calls up the store he's like hey i've got this loyalty card number can i give it to you do you know who it's registered under and they say oh yeah That belongs to Elaine O'Hara. Oh, my God. So he's like, what? He looks her up in the system. Turns out she went missing over a year ago. And as he's trying to update the notes of like, I found her loyalty card at this lake. He starts looking and he's like, wait a minute. They just a different police force just found her body around 12 miles away. This is bizarre. And like, this is what I'm saying. Like, people were saying this is Elaine trying to do something and I'm, I'm not a really paranormal person but just like this crazy coincidence if it all happens at once mm. it, it, I mean it's in, it's intense so now all of the police officers believe that Elaine's death is a homicide and not a suicide so they go back and try to get more evidence it had been over a year I mean things are not looking in their favor but again everything starts matching up Elaine's apartment hadn't been sold and the family left it completely the way it was before. I mean, they're like, until it gets sold, like we don't really want to pack up her stuff. So it's kind of like a time capsule. The police, they start going through her house again and her bed in particular, they pull back the covers, Mm -hmm. they pull back the bed sheet and her mattress has stab marks and blood stains on it that they did not see the first time around because again, they were looking at it through a different lens. They weren't looking for a crime scene. There was no signs of a break-in in her apartment. I mean, her bed was made. Why would it be a crime scene? So it just looked like someone had stabbed her. There was blood stains. They replaced a new bed sheet so that you couldn't see it, made up the comforter, put the pillows there. So they bring in this mattress to do DNA testing on the blood stains. There was also some semen stains. So they were hoping to pull some DNA off of that. They go back to the lake and they find more stuff. Now, all of these people who had found Elaine's body, like there was a bunch of different police forces working on this. They go back to the lake. They bring in divers. They bring in all of these crazy people. They find a leather collar inside of a bag with insulation tape and they find two Nokia phones. So this is getting weird. How is th- that's crazy. You find all of that in the lake in a lake and people were saying it also has to do with the whole summer thing i mean the water was really really low during that time oh. and it just i mean it's so when pro- they probably discarded it it was not yeah yeah obvious okay. and they thought no one's gonna find this it's gonna be crazy wow 
they also send teams into the mountains where her body was found. So we've got the scene where all of her stuff was found. And then we've got where her actual body was found. And they start looking and nearby they find hacksaw blades, fishing line, cable ties, harness equipment, equipment and bondage gear. So it's very clear and evident that something sinister happened here. But they don't know what happened and they don't mm-hmm. know by who. So they start begging the media for leads like anybody who knows anything about, you know, her life, her personal life. Was she seeing someone? What was happening during this time? Please reach out to us. And a woman by the name of Edna Lillis reaches out and she knew Elaine from being in a psychiatric unit with her. So she was also an inpatient and they bonded a lot. And Elaine opened up to her. Elaine told Edna that she's having this affair with an unmarried man. And Edna's like, no. And she says, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of strange because he really likes to cut me while we have sex, like with the knife. He likes to stab me. And Edna really was not about it. She was like, listen, I'm all about kinks. I'm all about BDSM. But no, you're playing with fire. This is a dangerous game and you need to get out while you can. And she was like, yeah, 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 sure, Edna. And Rosetta, another woman comes forward. Her name is Rosetta. And she was a nurse. She had been like a nurse for like decades at the hospital that Elaine would go to. Mm-hmm. And she said, listen, I was bound by patient confidentiality, so I could never tell this to the police. But now that I know that something has happened, I can. Right. And she said that Elaine kept telling me about this man who keeps forcing her to play bondage games and that she didn't want to do it anymore. She didn't want to be cut anymore. And she lifted up her shirt and I saw all of these wounds on her stomach. And I told her, no, like, please, you have to go to the police with this. This is not normal. This is not a kink. This is not just BDSM. This is too much. Much, especially because Rosetta, the nurse, she knows that she has a history of self-harm. Mm-hmm. So this is just you're playing such a dangerous game. Please, Elaine, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. And Elaine says, I can't even if I wanted to because he's married and he has kids. And if I go to the police, the kids are going to find out what their dad does. And the kids, their lives are never going to be the same. And I don't want to damage the kids relationship with the dad. That's like, her reason. This is how much she loves kids. Like she refuses to hurt a kid. Like that's her one thing. She loves kids. So Elaine showed pictures to the nurse and to Edna about of these whips and handcuffs and these chains. And they both just kept telling her, at least keep a record. Keep a note of every time you see him. Keep a note of everything he tells you. Keep, uh, you know, pictures of text messages. Keep them receipts. You know, that's what they were telling her. Uh This this is going to be super important to the investigation. I don't know if she took their advice per se or if she genuinely felt like something was going to happen because she kept a log of everything. What do you mean? Like a journal? She kept a diary, but she also backed up her phone on her laptop and that's going to become pivotal. So the police, with this information, they also start searching through the CCTV footage of Elaine's apartment and workplace. They actually combed through 5,300 hours of footage of 10 different cameras. This is why I'm saying Ireland has got it down because if you're talking a year ago, this would never happen if this crime happened in America. You're like talking tomorrow and they're like, sorry, the footage has been taped over. It's been 12 hours. We've got new footage. Our SD card is 32 gigs. How many times have you heard this intro cry? Oh, my God. How many cases? Too many. It's almost as much as the she lit up a room when she walked in. (laughs) It's like, all right, we get it. And the security footage was taped over and it's potato quality if you have it. 
And so, yeah, they had all of these cameras to work with. Now, nothing's guaranteed. Again, it's still kind of iffy because, like I said, it was a year ago. But at least they have a lot of footage. So mm-hmm. they start going through it. And there was just one guy that kept standing out to them because every time he was in front of the elevator CCTV, he would deliberately cover his face. Not even like a wearing a hat type of situation, but like straight up put his hand on the side of his face so that the CCTV footage wouldn't get him. When he walks into the elevator, there's not necessarily a camera inside the elevator but from the outside camera you can kind of see what button they press right Mm -hmm. but he would cover it he would cover with his one of his other hands so that whatever button he presses they can't even tell is it on the third line is it on the fourth line they don't know guilty guilty why are you doing that guilty so between january and august 2012 which is when elaine goes missing he was there at least 10 times and he was just as suspicious every single freaking time so they're trying to figure out his height his general weight his general build is there like anything unique about him that we can id they try to even matching that when he would come into the apartment with the street cameras to see Mm. what kind of car is he driving like is there a consistent car that we see every single time wow they're so advanced If there is anything that the past year and a half has taught me is that if there is something in my life that I can make it simple, I can make it undifficult and easy and breezy, I'm going to do it. And right now, think about your credit cards. You got many of them, right? Maybe you need to make some payments on a lot of them. And tracking all of these multiple balances, due dates, website logins, it's incredibly stressful. And it can be overwhelming to manage that debt. So take control with Upstart so you know exactly what to expect and you can have one simple monthly payment in one place. Upstart is the fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt all done online. So like on your couch. Whether it's paying off these credit cards, consolidating high interest debt or funding personal expenses over half a million people have used upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment it helps find smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score which i find to be amazing with a five minute online rate check you can see your rate up front for loans from one thousand dollars to fifty thousand dollars you can get approved the same day and you can even receive those funds as fast as one business day so if you feel like debt is taking over your life you want to simplify it you want to feel calm breezy breezing into 2021 with everything collected. It's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com rotten. That's upstart.com rotten. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. So loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided on that loan application. So go to upstart.com rotten. As they're doing that, the police, they get the DNA work off the mattress. Five patches of semen and blood, Elaine O'Hara's blood, and an unidentified man's semen. He wasn't in the system. So they got CCTV. They got like a whole team dedicated to that. They've got the DNA team. And they also have the digital forensics team. And they're just looking through her computers because now that they know that this is a homicide, the first time, I mean, they went into her computers. They saw some messages, some BDSM messages, some relationship messages. But they didn't they didn't go that deep because once they found her car at the cemetery, witnesses saw her there. People assumed it was suicide. And it just felt weird for them to dig so deep into someone's personal life especially when she had these struggles that she was dealing with. They just, they just didn't do it. Now, now they're looking for a killer. 
So they're going through every little piece of that computer, and there was a lot. They find a lot of pictures of her with clothes on and naked, and um, the pictures were framed in a way as if they were trying to take pictures of her scars, not they're trying to take like sexy nudes. Oh, like evidence. Kind of evidence, but also, or the photographer really likes her scars. Oh man. And so there was a lot of that. There were pictures downloaded from the internet of mutilated bodies on her computer. Whether they were sent to her or downloaded herself, we don't really know. There was a map to Kiliki, which is where her body was found, the mountain. Um, there was a folder of photos of women. Some of them were naked, abused, and some of them had been murdered. So this didn't look like she had murdered them, but like I said, you know, downloading from the internet or someone had sent her crime scene photos of women when they were found after a murder. This is no longer just BDSM. I mean, this was full on. There was a lot of illegal stuff that it seemed like it was leaning towards. Mm -hmm. Elaine also wrote fantasy stories about women who were kidnapped and just restrained. And she had this huge sexual desire and this fantasy life of hers. She had this full contract for slavery. So the police, they immediately bring in BDSM experts because they have no idea what's fantasy. They have no idea what's real. What is real evidence that we need to follow this lead and what's just role play? Like what messages are role play in this? Mm -hmm. And they said that contracts are not that common. It's common because of Fifty Shades of Grey. It's common because of the movie. He like makes her sign a contract. But in the real BDSM world, it's more theatrical to get someone in that mind space. You're like, hey, sign this contract to be my slave and you can never not be my slave. Right. Mm -hmm. But legally, it's not binding. I mean, it's just literally role play. So it's just not used that often because it's just role play. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, that's interesting. We also found this, which is called the Gorian lifestyle. Woman's right is slave. So it's this huge article and kind of like rules of how a woman should be a slave and um this is how it starts just to give you some idea what is your name and identity if you're a woman practicing a gorian lifestyle you don't have one your identity is a slave and you serve a master who orders you to do whatever he pleases you have no rights you never address yourself as i or me instead you are master's slave refusal to do this results in punishment usually a whipping so the whole philosophy of this is that men have a natural drive to dominate women and women have a strong desire to submit to men and give up their rights i don't historically or personally agree with this but whatever now women Women are also either free or enslaved, but the Gorian lifestyle says that free women can be enslaved at any time. And slaves are human animals. They but isn't this just uh, uh, like a BDSM? So little... when they talk to the experts, the BDSM experts who have been in the community mm-hmm. for a really long time, a lot of them are practicing DOMs, so they actually have a clientele of submissives, and mm-hmm. they said it's not widely practiced. It's actually looked down upon in the BDSM community, this Gorian lifestyle aspect, because mm-hmm. it's incredibly outdated and misogynistic. So the way that most people practice BDSM is that it's empowering for both parties involved, and mm-hmm. this one is very like incel culture, just weird vibes, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the, are th- Is this not just for the bedroom? I mean, it seems like it's more extreme. Okay. 
Okay, okay. Yeah, which again, it's still legal. So I'm not judging her for it, but I need you to be in that headspace because it's pertinent later. Okay. And it said that slaves are human animals. Masters make the decision for them. They lose their rights to even have a name. Like the master will like give you a name mm-hmm. and your only purpose in life is to bring pleasure and comfort to the master. There's also a side note that said women fall into two categories. So you're free or you're a slave to a master and you always have the right to refuse slavery. But if you do you're gonna be killed so i guess you don't really have the right to refuse it so that's just weird she had a downloaded pdf of um serial killers like a compilation of just talking about the psychology of serial killers a ton of documents about peakerism which is when someone has a sexual interest in picking someone's skin like penetrating another person's skin not like sex not like penetrative sex but like um like a needle Sometimes a knife, like literally skin, not like poke, poke on your poke through your skin. Yes, so it could be poking with a needle. It could be stabbing. You That's know, it's a kink. I'm sure with like a needle, maybe it's a kink, but I I don't know where the knife falls. I don't know. Wait, so what does she have a PDF file about that? Yeah, just like, about people talking about it. Oh. And Elaine's diary was also found and it was documenting her emotional state. I mean, she was depressed. She she had this issue with wanting to self-harm. She was incredibly lonely. She wants a family. And her one thing in life is she tried really hard, but she just wanted to be loved. That was it. She just wanted someone to love her and she wanted to have a kid with someone one day and just live a happy, normal life. A reoccurring theme is she was always confused at how she felt like she had to try 10 times harder to meet the baseline of happiness that everyone around her was at. Everyone just easily found a partner. Everyone easily started a family and was so outgoing at work and made friends naturally. And she just, she would always get in her own way. She'd be so self-conscious that she couldn't do these things. And then she would get frustrated with herself. And it was like this vicious cycle, right? And so she's using BDSM, like a lot of people do, as a way of exploring a world where, you're looking for something in the real world and you find it in the BDSM world. She doesn't want to have all of these small decisions because they give her anxiety in real life. So she's looking for a world where she gives up control. So she starts opening up these different usernames at different uh, BDSM websites. So she had three different p- profiles. So one of them was sub or slave for you. Another one was just submissive. And then there was one called help me learn. And one of her profiles was viewed more than 10,000 times on the website. So there was a lot of interest. These were opened up early in 2006. They started tracking whoever was in contact with her on any of these websites since 2006 to 2012. Did she meet anyone in person? Did she start a relationship? They tracked down eight different men and they start questioning the shit out of all of them they all willingly give up their dna and only two of them had actually met up with elaine in person the other ones we were like oh we're just an online thing and mm-hmm. they checked all of their alibis they checked their stories all the men were eliminated most of the men mentioned that they didn't really meet up with her or it didn't work out because her interests were even too extreme for them so they just weren't interested in being that aggressive of a dom and you know they just didn't want to do it so they had um this huge problem with these websites or any of these other websites is that like even youtube or podcasts any website anything that involves the internet there's going to be a ton of people who are always incredibly vulnerable on these websites and if someone evil comes along and sniffs out their vulnerability and uses it against them i mean the internet is a scary place 
Another thing that made it a problem is that Elaine was new to the BDSM scene. So she didn't have a ton of friends that were already established that said, hey, this is the this is the process. This is what you do. This is how you say that you're comfortable. So if someone had told her what BDSM is and what relationships were in this situation, it might have been better because at this point when Elaine's putting her profiles up on the internet, BDSM is whatever this person could tell her it is. Mm. Someone could just meet her up on the internet and say, no, this is how everyone does it here. Mm. And she would probably believe it. So they start recovering text messages. Um, A lot of them had been deleted. A lot of them had just somehow gotten wiped off her computer. They recovered 4,000 text messages and 2,500 of them were from the same guy by the name of David. And I had this dilemma about if I wanted to read some of these text messages because it just I read this book that I, it's in my source notes, but they list they left all the text messages What's in there. The this one is by Paul Williams. It's called Almost the Perfect Murder. They left all of the text messages in and it's it's like so depressing to read these text messages. And I didn't know if I was going to read them in the podcast because it also felt weird reading someone's text messages, especially with the BDSM involved. But it's important. Mm-hmm. Without this, you don't know how evil this person is. So I'm going to limit the verbatim text messages of on Elaine's part because I don't think it's really necessary. But from what David says, I'm going to try to keep it verbatim. And it was really alarming stuff. He would text her things like, I'll take off your clothes, stab you, and bury you. I'm going to leave your clothes in the car by the sea and make it look like you drowned. Like he would text her these fantasies about how he wanted to stab her and kill her. Oh, so there is a murder intent. Yeah. So March 25th of 2011, she receives her first text messages from David. But the police immediately know that this is not their first time talking because he's like, hey, do you remember me? Is this still your number? Like, it's David. So she had actually had a BDSM relationship with him in 2006, 2007 ish. She Mm -hmm. broke things off in 2008 because she just wasn't into blood she wasn't into stabbings less extreme bdsm of wanting to be tied up and spanked and all of these things right and treated like a slave like role-playing but she wasn't into actual blood like she wasn't into being punched and having these massive bruises and scars all over her body that's not something that she liked so out of nowhere three years later he tries to rekindle this relationship and it works so they decide to meet the next day but elaine keeps telling him through the text messages i'm still the same person like i'm still not trying to get into blood play I'm still not trying to get stabbed. Like, I just don't want to do this. And he kept texting her. Did you ever think about me? Did you miss me? And she even said, and I quote, yes, but then I would remember all of the blood. So we find out through these text messages that in 2008, she was going through an incredibly tough time and she had actually made a very shocking request to David. She asked David to kill her. She was depressed She was incredibly suicidal at the time, and she didn't know how to take her own life. She just was scared. She thought maybe this would be an enjoyable way to do it if it's in this consensual relationship. And I don't know, like she just kind of threw it out there. I don't think she was thinking things through, to be honest. And he didn't do it because that's the legal, moral, ethical, human thing to do, right? But now, years later, he's coming back and he's blaming her. Through these text messages, he says, it's your fault that I want to kill people now and you won't let me stab you. So he's saying years ago, when you mentioned that I should kill you because you're depressed, you brought out this monster in me. And now what? Now what? It's your fault that you brought this monster out in me. 
And she even texted him back like, I never thought me wanting to die would lead to any of this. She's like, what? Yeah, that's I mean, really gross. And he kept over the next months, nonstop, every day, tried to lead her to suicide. He texted her things, hope you are feeling better today. I have thought a lot about your situation and I can adjust my kind offer to hang you in your apartment. So she didn't want to be stabbed to death because she wanted her family to be able to bury her. She wanted to be buried next to her mom. And she thought if she's stabbed, then it's going to be a murder investigation. And then, you know, her body should never be found because all of that. And she just didn't want that. She didn't want that for her family. And he said, I can just hang you in your apartment instead. This is my kind offer so that you can be found and buried properly less covering up for me to do as well and i could take the cuffs off after i would prefer the other way of course stabbing you but just something to think about and she tried to fight back and she would talk about i i don't think i'm ready yet like i i i'm still looking for someone to i just want to meet someone one day and it's you're making it hard because you know with all these scars that I had gotten over the years I just I feel like no one really wants me anymore and I, I want to have kids one day at least one like I don't want to die right now I mean I just I just want to have a kid at least once and he would taunt her and he would say but that's never gonna happen because you're 36 you're old you're fat you're a smoker and no one's gonna give you a kid and so she would say, well, no, I, I think it's because like when I tried dating, someone didn't like my wounds and my scars. And he said, no, it's not that. It's because you're fat and ugly. Like he was evil. Oh God. But at this point, police knows this guy. No. Oh, they don't know who it is. No, they couldn't trace the phone. They know David. That's it. Yeah. And that's not even his real name. Oh. And so he said, if I can't kill you, you have to help me kill someone else. And she's like, no, 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 like I'm not doing that. And he would just keep texting her things like, I have a reoccurring dream where you text me and say you've got a present for me and I come to your place and when I get there, it's a naked girl gagged and bound and tied to a chair and you have all my favorite knives laid out. And she would even text him back, that's not happening. And when she would text him, she would always call him sir. So you can kind of tell that she's definitely not in the mindset of like, no, fuck you. Like this, sh there's already an establishment of power here. Mm -hmm. They were already in a relationship where he was the master. She was the submissive. There's no breaking out of it. And she tries. She tries to tell him no in a way that she can bring up the courage to. But he just won't let her go. Like he keeps just bombarding her and um she would pretty much tell him her dreams of i mean i guess i can kind of relate like i have dreams of just finding someone who likes to tie me up and not do like all this blood stuff right and she said but i guess we're just all doing our best you know that's life and he said yep life is short especially for you haha -ha. So then almost immediately, he starts introducing knife play back into their relationship. And she tried really hard to fight it off through the text messages you can see. But um, he would say things like, I can't wait to see all that blood. I want to stick my knife in flesh when I'm sexually aroused. Blood turns me on. I'd like to stab a girl to death one day. And so she would repeatedly tell him, like, please stop. I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to talk about it. It makes me uncomfortable. So how, how long is this like For going months. on? So they're kind of dating-ish. Yeah. And then he's like constantly manipulating her and trying yeah. to like do nasty. Just nonstop. He even paid. He even offered to pay her. He was like, I'll pay you to let me stab you. And she straight up was like, no, like I'm scared. I don't want that anymore. 
and he tried everything. And then eventually he slowly, through manipulation and predatory tactics, he introduced knife play back into their relationship. And he forced her, at first it was through pictures, he said, take the largest kitchen knife and place it as far up your C-U-N-T as possible. Don't cut yourself. Try to impress me. Use ketchup if you think it would be a more exciting picture. So I don't know if maybe it was um, like a fake knife that she used. I don't know. But this is just showing you that this was a very slow, deliberate, manipulative way of eventually stabbing mm. her again. And then after she would send pictures with some knife play that she would do to herself, but she wasn't like stabbing herself, you know, mm. very um easier stuff. Then he would be like, oh, that's perfect. And then he would always end it with like, don't you want to make me happy? And Elaine's thing is she just wanted to be loved. Like in life, that's it. That's all she wanted. She just wanted to be loved. So she would say, yes, I want to make you happy. I just don't want to play with knives. And he would say, well, this makes me happy. And he would push her a little bit more. And then eventually they were engaging in sexual activity where he was stabbing her again. Listen, if I have a little tip, if I have a secret on how you can save money on clothes, I am going to go climb the tallest mountain and scream it from the mountaintops. No, I'm not because I'm scared of heights, but I'm going to tell you right now. I can get free people for just $6. Lululemon leggings for up to 90% off. And my little secret is ThreadUp. It's an online thrift store with the best deals around. I find all of my favorite brands there at unbelievably low prices. I mean, it's kind of insane. They are one of the world's largest online thrift stores. So whatever brand you're looking for, chances are they have have it. They have most of your favorite brands for up to 90% off of estimated retail prices. They have over collectively 35,000 different brands for women's, kids clothing, handbags, shoes, and more for a whole lot less. You get insane deals of thrifting with the convenience of online shopping. So you can get Zara from like $6, Madewell and J. Crew for like $9, Nike for $6. This is insane. And today you can get an extra 30% off your first order at threadup.com com slash rotten thrifting has never been easier you can even customize by your size your style your budget which these are things that you can't do inside of an actual physical store so you find all of the best deals instantly you get items in high quality condition and some even have their tags still on like i literally just had some clothes come in all of them had their tags on but my favorite part is they have a super easy return policy so it makes this whole thrifting process completely worry free get the styles that you love at a fraction of the price you'll look and feel good with thread up and for rotten listeners here's an exclusive offer just for you get an extra 30 percent off your order at threadup.com slash rotten that's t-h-r-e-d-u-p.com slash rotten for 30 percent off your first order that's threadup.com slash rotten for an extra 30 percent off today terms apply And while he's doing this, he would constantly try to um, convince her again. He would say things like, when will you be ready for it? And she said, I don't know. Uh, hopefully never. <laughs> and he said, I can't see you as an old lady somehow. If you decide one day, you have to promise that I'm going to be the one that sends you off. And she said, I suppose. But will you tell me so I can prepare myself for it? And he said, really? Tell you before I do it? Before I kill you against your will? And she said, oh, no, you're never going to kill me up against my will. Like, you've left too much evidence in my place and I'm not good at cleaning. And he texted her back. But I am, though. Like, what? She legit just begged, basically saying, don't kill me because I have evidence. Yeah. And he said, no, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. 
if you have like social anxiety and you don't know how to tell people no, and I relate to Elaine so hard in this, this is her saying, no, the fuck you're I mean, not. It's pretty bluntly yeah. no. That's like, not even like. Exactly. Like, he, like uh, maybe not. Like, she was like, I got evidence. Yeah, there's evidence. So. And he was just an incredibly calculated, disgusting, cruel person. And the the thing that makes all of this worse and the thing that's going to make you more emotional is that David knew Elaine's history with self-harm and her suicidal ideologies. So introducing cutting back into her life, but with him administering it as like a fetish thing. I mean, this is disgusting. BDSM experts who were weighed in on this because, listen, it's not my place to talk about the BDSM community, but they said, this is not a kink. This is not a fetish. This is straight up using someone's trauma as a weapon. This is disgusting. No one in the BDSM community would be okay with this. Nobody. So, I mean, to the police, though, this is a really gray area. Like, they know that this person is a psychopath, is someone who is willing to kill, wants to kill, has this bloodlust. Like, this is straight up bloodlust. Like, he wants to see blood. I mean, it's crazy. But it's a gray area because he's not saying straight up, I want to kill you. He's straight up saying, like, oh, like, let me help you in your suicide. I can't wait to help you. So they kind of had this weird gray area that they were working with. But also the fact that is this role play? We don't really know is how they were phrasing it. And it just, it was a lot. I mean, he just kept blaming her. He kept saying, it's your fault. How do you bring this up? Get me obsessed and excited with killing and stabbing someone and then take it away from me. Like you had this coming. This is your fault. And he would say things like, I have everything ready if it all becomes too much. Like if life becomes too much, I've got everything ready and all your worries will be gone. And she texted him back, right now, I'm not that bad. Like imagine... And so eventually he starts bargaining with her. He says, nobody wants to give you a child because you're fat and ugly and old, but I can. I'll give you a kid. Yeah, whatever. I already have kids of my own. I'll give you a kid as long as I will never be in that kid's life. I don't want the kid to even know I'm their dad. I'm not paying for child support. Don't even act like this is my kid. I'll just give you a kid, though. But he said, and I quote, a life for a life. So you have to help me kill someone. And I'll get you pregnant. Holy shit, this guy's. And so he starts talking about how he wants to get a remote house, like um, call a real estate agent. And he picked one out and had her name and her address and her real estate company written down and said, we're going to call her, ask her to, we're going to pretend to be a couple, ask to see a house in a remote area. And then you're going to tie her up and we're going to stab her. And she would always put it off. And I mean, the police are reading this like, wait a minute, are we looking for like a full on serial killer? Because this guy is insanely homicidal. I mean, he's not just trying to stab a consenting adult, but he's straight up trying to kill innocent people, like not even people who know about it. Like he's trying to kill a random real estate agent. Where where does this where what are we doing right now? So they start tracking down the phone number and it was a prepaid phone purchased in 2011 with the intention of texting Elaine. How do we know this? Because that phone was activated and almost immediately he texted. Elaine and that was the only phone number that contacted Elaine like that's it he didn't use that phone to call anybody else text anybody else that's it only talk to Elaine now the name was registered to someone by the name of Garun and their date of birth was 1992 which the police don't believe because they would have been like 20 at the time that this took place they were like no that's definitely not what's happening um they see that most of the texts were BDSM related but there were some small details in the conversation that could lead the police to this mystery man because they look up Garun and they look up the whole name and they couldn't find any they couldn't find any variation of gordon 
Garrett, like they tried everything. There was no one in the system. There was no one that lived in Dublin with that name that had bought this phone and all of that. They analyzed his phone where he was texting it from because even though it's a prepaid phone, it's still pinging off of cell towers. Mm -hmm. And it kept pinging from a certain area in Dublin, South County Dublin. So this led the police to believe that this person lived and worked in South County Dublin. So they start analyzing their text messages. One time he texted her that he saw a dead sheep body near his like flight club, flying club. And he couldn't wait till nighttime so that he could go to that dead sheep and sink his knife into it. Which like, okay, you're thinking gross, but they're th- thinking flying club, sheep carcass. Like we're going to look for a flying club. They look for some registered pilots in South County, Dublin. Nothing came out of that. And he actually gave specific dates on flying. Like he would say, oh, like I can't meet you today. I'm flying today. And then he would text her one time to be like, oh, I came in fifth in this flying competition. So they're like, wait a minute. Airplane competitions are not that common. Like it's not like a golf tournament. Like we need to figure this out. So they search for anything that has to do with flying. They look up straight up flying airplanes, fishing because there's fly fishing, right? They do everything. Kite club. They're like, maybe he likes to fly kites. They look up everything. Uh They couldn't find anything. They couldn't find any competition who someone came in fifth and the specific dates that it happened until one of the police that was working in the South Dublin area. He was like, you know what? I went into the mountains the other day and I saw these weirdos who were just flying these like model airplanes. And I was like, God, they're going to hurt someone with that. Like a toy plane. Yes. They have competitions. You know, they had like the the boat competitions with the remotes, like the boat ones. Yeah, but they have it for airplanes, too. And so he's talking about it. And all the police, they're like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. So they look into it and there was a competition the same day. And they find who came in fifth. And his name was Graham Dwyer. And they knew this man. Because she had his name in her phone book. And wrote about him by name in her diary a couple of times. So it's not like a completely random name. Where they're like, whoa, we have no connection to this. And so they start searching up his history. And the only police document that they could find with Graham Dwyer. Was that he had reported his bike stolen from his architectural firm. He's an architect where he worked, where he lived. All of that was in the police file. And that is exactly the area where the phone was pinging off from, that like general area. And he looked so similar to the CCTV footage. So they start cross-referencing everything. They don't want to tip him off, you know, because they don't Mm -hmm. have enough evidence at this point. And Ireland's really crazy. Like in order to get a murder conviction, it needs, it seems more strict than America. And so they just wanted more. So they start cross-referencing. Whenever he told Elaine that he got a pay cut, they find out through work that he got a pay cut. He would tell Elaine that his car is in the shop they would go to some local car shops and sure enough that day there is a receipt for him being in the car shop like all of these small references that he never thought would come to bite him in the butt I mean these are solid evidence so Mm -hmm. they put a secret surveillance on him he has no idea that he's being watched nobody knows and they start looking at who the fork is Graham Dwyer he is the least likely person ever he's five feet five inches tall he's a stocky dude and everyone just describes him as just fucking plain looking like he just looks super plain he's an architect his wife Gemma is also an architect they had two kids together 
tons of friends, tons of colleagues. They had a very busy social life. They also had a busy work life. So they are the type that like they go to work, they drop their kids off, they have nannies, they have daycare. Then they would go out with their friends. They would go to dinner. I mean, this is a highly skilled killer. He is highly in control. He's able to compartmentalize his life, which is what serial killers do. They Like BTK, he's got his family life in one head and then he goes and rapes and kills and tortures people and he can just separate it. It's scary. And so they're watching him. And at this point, I mean, news of Elaine is everywhere. Her body had been found Mm -hmm. and he's chill. He's chilling. There is not one sense of worry. There's not one sense that and he's being secretly watched, you know, so he doesn't even know people are watching him right now. Nothing. Just going to work. Family activity. Just chilling. Doesn't seem based. So they start looking for more evidence and they are mainly looking at the Nokia phones, which they call it in police files, the master and slave phones, because once they had been water, they had been in the water for like 13 months, Mm -hmm. but they had this forensics team who could actually get it to work. I don't know how. Freaking Nokia's, man. Those bricks bricks. always work. I know. Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know how months before her murder, they stopped contact. And so when they thought that she had committed suicide, they were like, oh, well, she wasn't in a relationship with anyone because the last person she was texting about BDSM, they stopped talking for months. Remember that in the beginning of the investigation when they first Uh reported her missing? Well, it turns out it's because they started talking through this Nokia phone. So he had bought it for her uh. and they start primarily texting through there. There was only one contact in one of the phones that was master. The other phone only had slave and they were bought at the same time. They only contact each other. And the day that Elaine went missing, all contacts stopped and the phones were turned off and thrown into the river. So they track those phones and they cross-reference it with Graham's personal phone and the Nokia phone and Graham's personal phone were always in the same area. So they're like, I mean, he's got to be having those two phones on him, right? And leading up to Elaine's murder, they were at the same place all the time until the day that she dies. And then suddenly the Nokia phone goes off the grid. So Mm -hmm. really, like, what's going on? They also cross-reference that with his car's movement. So he has this blue Audi TT and they start tracing that shit everywhere. I don't know how they get this information. Listen, Ireland is crazy. They got CCTV everywhere. You can't do shit in Ireland. Except, I guess, the vanishing triangle. I don't know. Okay, but it seems like in this case, you couldn't do shit. And there were a bunch of toll booths. And the phone even pinged at Elaine's place, matched up with the CCTV, matched up with his car. I mean, this is Graham's phone. Come on. Now, the text messages were saying things like, if anything happened to you, who knows about me? And she said, he's asking. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. she said, I didn't tell anyone about you. Good. Keep it that way. So the days before her murder, he said, you will be bound and gagged and tied to a tree deep in the forest. I have a spot picked out. And she said, I am not leaving my apartment. You will have to drag me out. And he said, you will do what you're fucking told. I want outdoor play or I'll double punish me and hang you. So he he told her that he needed to punish her because they couldn't do anything because she she remember she went into a psychiatric ward and she was released the day before her murder or the day of her murder. So the day that she goes missing, I mean, the, he was just saying like you were in the psychiatric hospital. Now I need you to be punished because you weren't supposed to go there. So he's straight up punishing her for getting admitted because she wanted help. He decided to kill her because she was seeking help. 
Yes, but he he did it in a way that was like, oh, I'm just going to punish you to try to draw her out into the woods. Because like I said, when she got out of the hospital, everyone, her doctor, her family, her friends, they said that she was in really good spirits. She was so excited for the festival the next day. So he kept saying, I'm just going to like punish you in the woods. That's it. And she kept saying like, no, you're going to have to drag me out of the apartment. So the last 24 hours, she said that she didn't want to be naked in the forest. And he told her that she had to because he didn't want blood on her clothes. And she said, wait, now I'm terrified. And he told her no you're just you have to be punished for trying to kill yourself without me and for being unavailable for so long because she was in the hospital and so she asked him to not mention killing for a while so that she could settle back into life because she had just gotten released was this text released to public yes and he said but tonight's punishment will be like me pretending to do someone for real okay so he's saying yeah i'll stop talking about killing you if you pretend role play that i'm killing you tonight and so he gave her the directions told her to meet him at the cemetery at 5 30 leave your iphone at home just bring your slave phone and keys and you will get further instructions from there and she said no offense sir but do we have to do it in the rain it's cold And he said, empty yourself and become nothing. You are a property and a piece of slave meat. Your only job is to serve. And so he gave her directions, cross the bridge, head for the opposite end of the park near the steps to the sea. And the last message that was ever sent to her was go down to the shore and wait. And then the phones were turned off and never turned on again. So we can assume from that point with his car locations, he drove her to the mountain, left her car at the cemetery, took her up into the woods, tied her to the tree and eventually murdered her is just the evidence from the site. You know, remember in the mountains, I told you they found bondage, they found equipment, they found Mm -hmm. rope and um, he drove to the reservoir. He disposed of his killing kit. He disposed of some of the BDSM stuff and drove home and just had a regular evening with his wife and kids. Now, he left her body in the woods just out in the open because he revisited the scene multiple times. Yeah. He revisited? Yes. To do what? I don't know if there was necrophilia involved, but it seemed like he got gratification from seeing her dead. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so this was enough for the police to get an arrest warrant. So October 17th, 2013, 7 a.m., they had three different teams, one to search his office, one to search his house, and one to arrest him. And everyone was shocked. His coworkers, his wife and kids, I mean, they had no idea. She was heartbroken. I mean, I I feel for her because she didn't try to defend him or anything. She was like, what? I mean, she didn't know that she was sleeping next to a disgusting monster, like a killer. First of all, it's one thing to know that he's cheating on you. And then it's another thing to be like, he wants to do what to these women? Like as a, as a woman to woman, you're like, N- what? Like, forget the fact that this is my husband, but mm-hmm. what? This is insane. So he gets arrested and he's super cocky. He's like, listen, I know you guys can only hold me for 24 hours and I don't know what you're talking about. That he didn't think that Elaine had backed up her phone to the laptop. He thought that he had wiped her iPhone. He thought everything was going to be okay. He, he got rid of the Nokia phones. No one was ever going to find those. And even if they did, it's been in water for 13 months. How are they going to get the evidence of that? It's, it's crazy. So he's just sitting there and they interview him five times over the course of 24 hours and each interview is a completely different vibe because each interview he's getting closer and closer to the reality that he's fucked 
to the first interview, he's like, I don't even know Elaine. I only saw her on the news. Isn't that the girl that you guys found in the mountains? Yeah, that's so sad. I saw that on the news. And he was like, man, the first interview, most of it, he talked about how pissed he was. Because he's like, God, the journalist, I can't wait for those freaking articles. Architect arrested for murder. I can already see that. I mean, that's going to ruin my career. So he was super cocky. Yeah, and just thinking about himself. And they're like, what? This is crazy. But the police, they play into it. So they start just having an innocent conversation with him. Like, you're an architect. That's cool. Oh, you must be busy with work. Like, what, how do you how do you blow off some steam? Like, do you do any like crazy BDSM stuff? And he's like, no, I just I just fly some like airplanes. I'm like really into airplane flying. And they're like, is that so? You're into airplane? Mo- that's a that's an interesting hobby. I've I've never heard of that. Writing it down, matching cross. Yes, matching to the evidence. Yes, exactly. And he had no idea. No idea. And so the second interview, they start showing him little bits of evidence. You know, he's like, I, 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 don't, I don't even know Elaine. They show him the CCTV footage of him at Elaine's apartment. And then he kept saying, okay, well, I didn't kill anyone. <laughs> okay, so I know a girl, but does that mean I killed her? No, I know a lot of girls. Very confident. Mm-hmm. The third interview, they're like, hey, uh, so her phone was backed up on her computer. <laughs> Holy and they start shit. reading out some text messages. And he's like, my private life, yeah. I'm into BDSM. Yeah, we did have sex. Mm-hmm. Consensual, though. So then the fourth fourth interview, they're like, so the Nokia phone. You want to talk about that? And he's like, what? The Nokia phone? What are you, what are you talking about? And they start reading the text messages oh from the Nokia phone. God. And he starts freaking out now. And then finally, they interview him and they say, listen. Your semen was a match. Like, your DNA was a match to the semen found on her mattress. And the Nokia phone, I mean, all of this, all of this isn't looking good. And he said, okay, I'm not an innocent man, but I am innocent of murder. You know? I'm what? I'm not an innocent man. I'm a bad man. Uh. But am I, am I guilty of murder? Am I guilty of cheating on my wife? Yes. Am I guilty of running a red light twice? Yes. Killers love doing this. Right? You admit to certain crimes. But not the ultimate crime. I hate that so much. Because you can't just lie all the way, I guess. Yeah. At that point. And it's just like, okay, really? And then you're just like, I'm not the man that I want to be, you know? I can do better. I'm not the best person out there. But am I, am I guilty of that? Oh, no. I hate people. <laughs> okay? I just hate people. Then they also bring up the fact that they questioned his old girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend, who was also the mother of his first child. They had dated 20 years ago, and the police reached out to her to get an ID. So they didn't know if his wife was going to um, cooperate in all of this. So mm-hmm. she ID'd him in the CCTV footage. So they were like, okay, you're like the mother of one of his children. This is a very credible person to get an ID from. Perfect. Mm-hmm. She also mentioned that 20 years ago, they broke up because he wanted to do knife play in the bedroom and she didn't want that so they broke up so it seems like this guy had tried it in a relationship broke up and now he just separated it from his relationship and his personal life completely and started seeking relationships where it didn't matter if the person wanted it or not Mm -hmm. does that make sense like it was just so nasty and so um that point he knows he's screwed and you know the night before his arrest they find that graham was watching a movie on his computer because they had search teams in his house while they're interviewing him Mm -hmm. and they find that through his computer he was watching a movie the night before they arrested him and it was a snuff film of people dying 
real people dying. A snuff film is like where people die. And he, they asked him about it. Like the police officer came in during the interrogation and was like, hey, we found this. And he was like, well, that's art. That's like a horror movie genre art. They're like, well, no, it's not. It's illegal. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, my private life is my private life. What? Well, that's my friend. That's not how your laws work. <laughs> yeah, that's really... Private killing is still killing. Yeah. It's like, he's like, that's my private life. <sighs> and so they officially charge him with Elaine's murder. And this was going to be a controversial trial because you're talking about a guy who's an architect, family man. He's got wife and kids. And just the nature of the BDSM, the nature of all of this, plus the fact that there wasn't even an official cause of death. I mean, this is going to be... They're like, what, what's going to happen? So the trial takes place January 22nd of 2015. And Graham is just sitting there. And his family was also there the whole time. But it didn't seem like they were there in support. During the trial, though, his true colors start showing. Because he didn't even seem nervous. He's like chatting and laughing with his lawyers. He's joking. He's, you know, taking these little scribbly notes. Just as if he's watching something happen. It seems like he's not even in the trial himself. It's like he's watching someone else's trial. And it's not even a trial about murder. It's like a parking ticket trial. Like, that's how casual he seemed spectators were more serious you know than he was he just was so cocky his wife even testified when she got up there there had to be a police officer between her and her husband where he was sitting with his lawyers and her on the stand because she was terrified of him she never once looked at him she never wanted to be near him i mean she just was scared and she had no knowledge. This is a situation where it's like, yep, she definitely didn't know. And they had a TV rolled into the courthouse and there was an American woman on the television. And the jury was introduced to a woman by the name of Darcy who lives in America. And she was with an American police officer recording her statement. So Darcy met Graham on a website, a fetish website, and he confessed to her through emails that he wanted to stab someone and he wanted to stab Darcy. He was willing to fly to America just to stab her. And he was talking about these fantasies, but then he told her specifically, but you have to wait for me to stab you because I have to kill this other girl first. He was talking about Elaine. Wow. He also sent Darcy a PDF file called Killing Darcy, where he detailed a very horrific way in which he wanted to kill her. It was graphic. He would rape her and then slit her throat and then he would stab her watching the blood like leak out of her body. He photoshopped her face onto a naked body who had their intestines like being pulled out. I don't know where he got this picture. There was stab wounds all over this body. It seemed like they were trying to mention that it was like a real body and he photoshopped her face on it. Another crucial piece of evidence was that before the trial, he sent her a Christmas card. So the trial takes place January, like years after the murder, right? But that Christmas... While he was in prison, he like sent her a Christmas card while waiting for trial. And he said that if I ever go to the U.S., I can't wait to meet you. So in in technicality, it's like not a threatening card. But it was because she never gave him her address. She's like, how the fork does he know my address? And that made her want to testify more because he was like, she's like, this is a dangerous man. Like, we need to keep him in prison. They also got his computer evidence. Graham had crazy videos on his computer. Women being tortured, raped, murdered. I mean, there were so many snuff films. 11 videos were shown to the jury. And I mean, this was a huge fight from both sides because the defense did not want these videos shown. But he had his own home videos where he would practice chloroforming himself to test how strong it is to test the feelings 
because, you know, chloroform, he's trying to chloroform future victims, it seems like. He would have violent sex with him and other women and film it. Videos of him um, having interactions with Elaine and stabbing her. So it wasn't the actual murder, but having sex with Elaine. And there were parts of the stabbing. And people were running out of that courtroom. Oh, my gosh. They describe it as Elaine making visceral sounds. She was in so much pain. I mean, it was horrific. They said that people would just start burst out crying. They had to leave the room because, I mean, it's like a human thing. Like when you hear another human in so much pain, I I hate watching movies where people get tortured because I'm like, I can't. Like when I hear people screaming and that that's like acting. But and at the end of that, after hearing her scream, after hearing all the pain she went through, he said, now that wasn't too bad, was it? And he had no emotion. It almost seemed like he was excited that the He's jury was watching. typical serial killer behavior, yeah. right? It's insane. He wrote a novel on his computer where he was going to be like the next BTK. He didn't mention BTK by name, but he would say that he would pick these random women and he would watch these women go into their house, pretend to be a maintenance man and get access to their house and then kill them. Now, their entire defense was, well, there's no cause of death. There's no physical linking to him at the crime scene. There's no evidence. She was a heavily suicidal woman. She was troubled. That's it. The rest was just consensual sex and BDSM. That was their whole defense. So the jury deliberates for nine hours. And um, yeah, everyone rushed to the court to hear this verdict. He told the police officer while they're walking in to hear the jury's verdict that he can't wait because he's going to enjoy a nice steak and wine this evening. He was that cocky. That's that he, just, he's going to get out. Yeah. Wow. And he sat down and the jury found him guilty. And he was sentenced to life in prison and he is currently appealing his sentence. What's up with the iron? Like, what's up with these serial killers? Yeah. I mean, okay, we talked about this. Yeah. They all think they're the smartest person in the world. Yeah. That's why. And so Frank, who is Elaine's dad, he gave a statement for the prosecutors to read at the um, sentencing. And I think, like, the worst part of all of this is what everyone says is, like, all she wanted was love. And mm-hmm. he knew that. He took advantage of it. I mean, there was never a moment of peace. Like, he never even gave her a moment to get better or to try to live life, to try to find someone, to try to find happiness. Like, he never even cared about her. He knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, this is evil. I, For me, for some reason, this feels more evil than randomly killing someone. It's just such... You know this person's trauma. You know what they went through. Ah, so annoying. Anyways, so Frank's dad, his statement was, we will never really know what happened in the mountains, but we have a number of questions and we want answers. When did she know that it wasn't a game anymore? When did she know that her life was actually in danger? Did she cry out? Was she able to? And did she die alone up there? I can't imagine what the family went through to think that your daughter took her own life and then to find out a year later that it was a murder and then to get to this point where it was like, what? And it wasn't just a murder that happened. Yeah. It was years of torture. And yeah. Manipulation and, yeah. oh. So, like I said, this has nothing to do with the BDSM community in whole. I don't want this to be like a satanic panic, BDSM panic. It's not like that, but... I think he's just an evil person. Some people speculate that he has more victims. I don't know. I feel like he would have told Elaine about it, though. 
he seems like the type of guy. He would have like bragged about it or said, oh, well, it wasn't that bad for her. She enjoyed it. Right. You know, so I do think he was a serial killer in the making for sure. But Mm -hmm. let me know what are your thoughts and I hope you guys enjoyed. Bye.